As uh, they uh, walk out and headed towards Children's Church, um, I want you guys to know that uh, we are well aware of the sound equipment, um, and we're gonna we're gonna fix these speakers and uh, hopefully get new microphones. Um, we've got some people uh, further up in the denomination working on that for us, so we may end up getting those for free. Um, so just bear with us for the next couple of weeks. That mic is just going out, so that was kind of what was going on. So I apologize for that. But y'all uh, sounded well, wonderful. I, I heard y'all right and I can hear you, so I think we're good. Yeah. So we're going to be um, in Isaiah 53. Uh, that's page 356 in those church Bibles. Yeah. <laughs> So I just want you guys to understand, I, I haven't said this a lot, um, and if I was, if you guys were asked, you'd probably have no idea what our church vision is. Um, so I think what I'm going to start doing is I'm just going to start um, starting off service like that and letting you guys know what we're about, you know, that we're a church that's focused on discipleship, that's founded in doctrine, and that's fueled by devotion. And that's kind of what I was trying to uh, labor and show the congregation this morning by just having kids help me out because kids will dance just about any time, anywhere. Um, that's devotion. That's a form of praise to God. So that was kind of the direction with that. We're going to be in Isaiah 53, and this morning I'm going to be talking about God as our healer. As our healer. You guys know I talk, I'm an evangelist, that's my background, so I talk an awful lot about God as our Savior, Jesus, our Savior, the Savior of the world, the one that takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the earth. I talk a lot about Jesus as our Savior, but every once in a while I like to back up and I like to talk about Jesus as our healer. And so that's what we're going to be focused on this morning, Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to go slowly through this. This message may take a little bit of time, but I'm going to be thorough in getting you to understand what healing is, what the gospel of healing is, the good news of healing. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? Or as the King James says, who has believed our report? What report? The report of the gospel, the good news, the thing that Jesus Christ has sent us to share, the thing that we push so much to preach the gospel to all nations everywhere, telling people to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. That's the report. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Gospel literally means good news. You know the equation, 2 plus 2 equals 4. You could literally say gospel equals sign good news. That's what it means. It's not bad news. It's not harsh news. It's not severe news. It's good news. Good, as in for our benefit, as in something to be desired, as something to be sought after. What's so good about it? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The gospel is about the arm of the Lord. The arm, when you think about accomplishing something, you're going to go make coffee, what are you going to use to do it? Your arms, your hands. When you're going to defend your family, what are you going to do? You're going to use your arms, your hands. Unless you're a crazy Thai kickboxer and then maybe you use your feet. I don't know. But your arm is something that is used to accomplish a purpose. Jesus is the arm of the Lord because He is the thing that's used to accomplish the purpose. He is the gospel. Just like I said, you could say gospel equals good news. You could say gospel equals Jesus. A plus B equals C. Therefore, 
C minus B equals A. I don't know how that equation works. But you could say gospel equals good news. Gospel equals Jesus. Therefore, Jesus equals good news. Have you ever heard that? That Jesus is good news? Simple, right? Jesus is good news. Jesus is the gospel. It's the gospel. There's not four gospels. I know we like to say the gospel of Mark or the gospel of Luke or the gospel of John. No, there's one gospel, four different perspectives, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is good news. For He, there's the answer to the question, who has believed what He heard from us and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He, the gospel, the good news, the arm of the Lord, grew up before Him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire Him. There was nothing about Jesus' physical appearance that made Him any different than any other human being. He took on the same flesh. It was something that was inward, an inward purity, an inward power, an inward habitation of the Spirit of God. God made flesh. That's what made Jesus different. Not that He was the best looking guy that's ever lived on the face of the earth. Jesus may have been ugly in the flesh. I don't know. Uh-oh. I just offended everybody. <laughs> he may have been. Because there was nothing special about the way that he looked. It was what he said. It was what he did. It was who he was. That was what's special about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's the ESV version, and I typically like this translation of the Bible, but I hate the way that they translated that verse. I hate it because it's not right. Not saying your Bible has error, because it doesn't, because it can mean grief, but that's not the literal or most common meaning of that word. It was it's more like this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and he knew sickness. He knew what sickness was. He was acquainted with sickness. Now you may think to yourself, like I have, everybody knows what sickness is. Even if you've never been sick, you know what sickness is. You know what cancer is. You know what Lyme disease is. You know what it looks like for somebody to be crippled or to be injured or to be sick. You know what sickness is. So therefore, it wouldn't be a big deal that Jesus knew what sickness was. But that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about a superficial, commonplace knowledge of Jesus knew what sickness was. It's talking about that Jesus knew sickness, intimate knew sickness. He knew the root cause of it. He knew where sickness first came. He knew that it came from Eve when she first bit into that fruit of the garden of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He knew that that was the beginning of the curse and death. He knew, he knew and knows the first time anyone ever coughed, the first time anyone ever contracted what we call cancer, the first time anyone ever contracted what we call AIDS, the first time anyone ever got sick, he knew. The first person that died from a sickness, he knew. He knew sickness. So you think that he knew all of that sickness from beginning to end, for the whole period, not just up to where we are now, but to the apocalypse, to the eschaton, to the end of time, He knows every single person that's ever been sickness, their symptoms, their pain, their affliction, what they deal with, how they react to it. He knows sickness. And you think that He doesn't know yours? He knew sickness. He was acquainted with sickness. He was intimate knowledge with sickness. Do you want to know what sickness is? Simple put. Simply put. Sickness is a curse. It's not God's design. There's people that will tell you that it is. It's not. And I can prove it to you, and I will here in just a moment. Sickness is a curse brought on by the law. 
Sickness originated with sin because sin gave death power. Sickness leads to death. So the root of sickness is sin. Sickness is a curse of the law. And the good news is, the gospel, Jesus is freedom from that curse. Galatians 3.13, you can write it down. It says we are free from the curse. Because He, Jesus, became the curse. As it is written, cursed is every man that hangeth upon a tree. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He that knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus became sickness. One translation of this passage says that the Lord made Him sick. When Jesus was on the cross, we like to talk about it in Getsemane when He took all the sin of the world upon Himself. But what we don't like to talk about or what nobody brings up anymore is the fact that when Jesus was on that cross, every single sickness, every single disease, every single affliction, every single symptom that has ever existed or ever will exist was placed upon His body. He had all the pains of cancer. He had all the pains of Lyme disease. He had all the pains of fibromyalgia and every other sickness that's ever existed. All was placed upon Jesus every brain disease, every bodily affliction, leprosy, everything was placed upon Jesus. Everything. And sometimes I wonder if that's why God made it dark for three hours where no one could see how the sickness had distorted Jesus' physical body. Every sickness. Jesus took every sickness upon Himself because He literally became the curse. Let's keep reading. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Again, here's a translation of this verse that I absolutely hate. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The literal translation of this says, Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. Young's Literal Translation, the New American Standard, the Christian Standard Bible. Look it up. He has carried our sickness, borne it on Himself, taken our sickness upon Himself, and carried our diseases. He did it by Himself. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And here is one of my favorite Bible verses. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, or by His stripes, we are healed. We are healed. Are healed. We are healed. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of scholars and theologians. See, we have this tendency, especially among preachers and theological circles, what we do and what we like to do is we like to study so much that our heads get so big that we're no longer capable of moving them. That's what we do. We like to study so much and twist things to fit in our theological systems that we're no longer capable of moving in faith. We like to stand back and watch people evangelizing and criticize their theology. 
and say, well, you might be going out there and telling people about Jesus, but you're not going through the seven points of redemption. You're not making them on the spot confess every sin that they've ever committed. Faith likes to say we like to try and clean fish before we catch them. The same is true in healing. Scholars, and there are blue million out there, have twisted Isaiah 53, the verse that I just read to you, that He has carried our sicknesses, that He has carried our diseases, that by His stripes we are healed. They like to twist that around and say that's not talking about physical healing. That's what they say. They say that's talking about a spiritual healing. That's talking about salvation. That Jesus, when it says by His stripes we're healed, it's talking about our spirit, the fact that we're healed through salvation. Let me give you a very, very hick term. It's called hogwash. Or let me give you one better, one that most of you probably say on a daily basis. Bull crap. Let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. One healing already. He touched her hand, the fever left her. So she had a fever, the fever left because Jesus touched her. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a single word. And here it goes healed all who were sick. Now, next verse. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, the translation that I just told you should be translated as he took our sickness, he took our disease, he took our illness and bore our disease, carried our disease. The way that Matthew translates that verse is the way that I told you it should be translated. See, we have this problem that we like to fit Scripture into our theological mindsets or into our what makes us comfortable, what we can adapt with. Well, we don't have to move. It doesn't cause us to do anything. If Jesus doesn't heal the sick anymore, then you don't have to pray for the sick. If Jesus chooses who He wants to be saved, then you don't have to evangelize anymore. So what we do is we try to twist our theology that we can sit and be comfortable. I'm just done with that, guys. Because the rule of interpretation, when you interpret any passage in the Bible, the first rule is let Scripture interpret Scripture. I teach that every Sunday night and every Wednesday night. Some of you guys that come regularly on Sunday and Wednesday have heard me say that a thousand times. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. And here, Matthew interprets Isaiah 53 saying, because of healing, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, then He cast out demons, and then He healed all that came to Him that were sick. After that, it says this was to fulfill Isaiah 53, what was spoken by Isaiah that He took our illness or took our sickness and carried or bore our disease. The very way that Scripture interprets Isaiah is a physical healing. That's the very way that it interprets it. So how can we get up on our high horse and say that's talking about a spiritual healing only when very clearly Matthew, inspired by the Holy Ghost, says that it's talking about a physical healing? Jesus physically heals. Now, Luke 5, verse 12. 
another problem that we have, not just getting our heads so big that we don't want to act on it. Another problem that we have is we say, okay, 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 you're right. God is able to heal. Okay. That was what Jesus did. God is able to heal. But God doesn't want to heal me. That's what we say. That's another out. We give God a, an excuse. And we say, God, you know, it's not a big deal. I know that you're capable of healing, but I know that you don't want to heal me. Luke 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, skin condition, full of sickness. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. This is what he said. Lord, if you will, if you desire to, if it is according to your desire, according to your will, you can make me clean or you can heal me. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And then it says the man was, was healed. And we can read on in the rest of that story. But the point is, is that this man came. Yeah, the kids are being loud. They're playing Jericho, knocking down the walls. God bless them. They're awesome. I know that is what they're doing. That's awesome. Kids studying the Bible. Interactive. Church doesn't have to be boring. You will. You can make me clean. If you will. God, if it is your desire to heal me personally, individually, not just in the grand scheme. Okay, it's God's will to heal, but that doesn't apply to me. I'm the exception to God's overall general will. God doesn't will to heal me. No. It says, Jesus, if you will, you can heal me. You can make me clean. And Jesus touches him and says, I will. It is my desire. Be clean. And the man was clean. He was healed. That's simple, isn't it? I mean, we like to overcomplicate it. It says, God, if you're willing, I already know that you're able. And I already know that it's part of your plan because Scripture, we just proved it. Out of the mouth of two or more, let every word be established. Out of the mouth of two or more verses, let every word be established. We just proved it that Scripture, the testimony of Scripture is that it is God's will to heal. And now we're looking, okay, God is able to heal. Now we know that God is willing to heal. Now we know that God is willing to heal you individually. <laughs> Go to Deuteronomy 28. We're going to just break this down and go on a little journey. I told you what sickness was. Deuteronomy 28, verse 58. And I don't want you to just take my word for it because I could stand up here and say, this chapter and this verse says this, and you guys would just take my word for it. Some of you might not. But I want you to see it. I want you to look at it with your eyes. Deuteronomy 28, verse 58. I want you to see that I'm not making this up. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. And He will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also, and every affliction that is not recorded in this book of the law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. See there? The law, if you're not fulfilling the law, then the curse of not fulfilling the law is sickness. So when I say that this is a curse of the law, 
I'm not lying to you. I've just proven it to you. Sickness is nothing more than a product of sin and a curse given by the law and in our inability to fulfill it. That's what sickness is. Point blank, that's what sickness is. And I'm not saying that if you have sickness, it's because you're a horrible person. No, I'm saying that we have sicknesses because we are sinful beings and we are not perfect like Jesus. That's what I'm saying. That you don't have to be submitted to your sickness. That God can heal you of your sickness. That's what I'm trying to convey. The message I'm trying to convey is that sickness has power because of sin. That's where sickness gets its power. Sickness came on through the curse of the law. It just said they're all sicknesses. Those that you had in Egypt, the diseases that you were afraid of, and then everything that wasn't in Egypt, every sickness that's not even named that ever comes into existence is all as a product of the curse of the law. That's what sickness is. That's all I'm trying to get you to understand. Just because you get sick or have a cough or wake up with a cold doesn't mean that you have violated and transgressed God's commandment that day and He struck you down with a sickness. That's not who our God is. It, what it's saying is that all the world is under the law. That's the whole purpose of the law. God set forth His commandments. Everyone was brought under the law. Everyone was brought under sin to show the world that it needed Jesus. And the only way that we can step beyond that, that we can step beyond the hold of sickness, is through Jesus. Does that make sense? That the law was given to bring everyone under sin, and now that everyone's under sin, everyone's subject to the curse of the law and to the affliction of sin and sickness and disease, etc., etc., etc. So what God does is through Jesus, He makes Jesus the subject of all His wrath, of all the curse of the law, of all the torment, of all the judgment, and that through Jesus we might escape. Because if Jesus was made sin, so that we might be made righteous. If we're righteous, we're not in violation of the law anymore, but we become the fulfillment of the law through Jesus. So that's the exchange, is that Jesus became the curse, and He became the sin, so that we might be freed from the curse, and we might be made His righteousness. The very righteousness of Christ is the freedom from the curse of the law. The fact that we become the righteousness of Christ means that we're free from the curse of the law means that we're free from the power of sin and sickness and death. Now, God is able, God is willing, Scripture proves it. The price has been paid. The price for healing was paid for in the atonement in the shedding of Jesus' blood. That's all been proven. Now let's look. Let's just be honest. Some of you are circulating objections in your mind already. I know because I've done it. I didn't start out believing in the gospel of healing when I got saved. I grew up Baptist, and then I walked away and became a drug dealer. And then when I got resaved, it was in a Pentecostal Church of God church where they did all kinds of craziness and word of faith, and they said, we're going to make you rich and healthy and wealthy. And I was scared to death of that nonsense. And God had to bring me through a long road. So I know every objection that you're formulating in your mind. And we're going to talk about a couple of them. Here's the most prominent one. I just don't believe in that stuff. So let me ask you, why? Do you believe that God was able to do it, but now that He's suddenly impotent? That God did do it, but now He's just powerless to save, powerless to heal? Do you think God's ministry has changed? Because, I mean, God says through His Word, Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ was our healer. 
He healed people. That was his ministry to fulfill Isaiah 53, that bear our sickness, to carry our disease. So that was his ministry. That was what he did. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do you think that now he's suddenly different? Because if you say, I just don't believe, then you're, what you're saying is one, God's just powerless to do it. Or two, that Christ's ministry suddenly changed, that he's not the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some people will say, well, no, I just believe that, I believe in dispensationalism. I believe in a form of that saying that that was true when Jesus was on the earth and that was true with the apostles and the early church fathers, but that period ended with the foundation of the church and then once we got Scripture canonized that it's no longer prominent. And I just ask, on what basis? On what basis do you get that that just ended with the apostles because there's a lot of people out there that's what they say it just ended with the apostles and they'll say that it ended with the apostles because they were breaking forth on new ground establishing the word well does the word not still need to be established are there not thousands if millions and billions of people that don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ the word still needs to be established it still needs to be put forth are there not still apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers there are God never says that it was going to stop. He never said, okay, up until 1500 A.D., this is going to be prominent, but once 1500 hits, it's going to stop. He doesn't say that. Nowhere in His Word does it say that this is ever going to end. Acts 28 has Paul healing just like Acts 1 and 2 has healing. So if there's healing at the beginning of Acts, which is the story of the church, and there's healing at the end of Acts, and there's no slacking off or decline, then how can we say that that ministry suddenly ended? There's nowhere in passive, in the entire Scripture, that says that the gifts of God cease. Nowhere. There's nowhere that says healing stops. And you don't know how I know that? Because I have this tendency where I don't study people that support my position. I study people that don't. I study people that have arguments against my position. All of the cessationalists, the people that say healing is no longer for today, every single one of them, if they're honest, will say there is not a single verse that supports cessationalism or the stopping of the gift of healing. Not a single verse in the entire Bible, and they say that. So I don't have to say it because they do. So if they and their best defenders say that healing is still, there's no verse that says that healing isn't real. And the Bible very clearly teaches that Jesus paid the price for healing. And it doesn't say that it's going to stop. And it says that all of it was paid for. Then how can we doubt or claim that it has stopped? So Scripture doesn't teach that the gift of healing stops. Church history doesn't teach that the gift of healing stops. Then your objection might be this. Well, people don't live forever. Right? I mean, you got to die of something. Have you ever heard that? People say, you got to die of something. Why not, why not cancer? you got to die of something. Let me read something to you. Abraham. This is the Old Testament. Abraham. Genesis 25, 7 through 8. When Abraham died, said he drew his last breath, he was of a good old age, and he was content. That's how Abraham died. What about Isaac? Genesis 35, 28, 29. He drew his last breath. He gathered his. Oh, he was gathered to his people, and he died, old and full of days, no sickness. Jacob, Genesis forty-nine, verse thirty-three. He drew his feet up into his bed after he had blessed his sons and prayed over his descendants, and took his last breath, and he was gathered to his people. That's how he died. Moses, Deuteronomy thirty-four, verse seven. It says that when Moses died at hundred and twenty years old, his eyes were not weak. And his vitality had not left him. That's four examples. There's more. 
But I pulled out four examples of men that live past 100. Not saying that you have to live past 100, but I'm saying that, yes, you have to die. We're promised healing. We're not promised eternal life in this body. Our body will be raised and we will have eternal life there with the Lord. We will die. But why do you have to die of a sickness? Why can't you just be perfectly healthy and lay down to sleep and forever be with the Lord? Who says you have to die of cancer? Who says you have to die of a sickness? Who says you have to die of a disease? Who says that you have to suffer and be afflicted by a sickness the whole time that you're here? Do you think that God can do more with a cancerous body or with a body that has perfect vitality and energy? Why do you have to be subject to sickness? Everyone doesn't get healed. That's another popular objection. We like to say that. Well, I've seen people lay hands, anoint, and pray over people, and they just don't get healed. So, therefore, that's not real. So? I mean, when you give your life to the Lord, when you get saved, and some of you have actually surrendered your life to the Lord very, very recently. Some of you have given your life to the Lord very recently in the past few months. Did you feel the heavens open and God come down, light shine around, and you knew that you knew that you knew that you were saved at that moment? Or did you surrender your life in faith and by faith receive it, and then after you had received it, you began to see things that would testify to the fact that you are saved? Which one of those two? Did you? Yeah. Yeah, you didn't see the heavens open and the Spirit of God just suddenly come down, manifest, and just overtake you and just knock you off your feet. Some of you did. Great. Hallelujah. I wish I did. But some of you, you come up because you know that the gospel is true. You know that it's legitimate. You know that it's real. And you know that you need Jesus. So you surrender your life in faith, believing that He will save you and accept it and receive it by faith. And then you begin to see the signs and the product of that. After. Faith comes first. Let me ask you this. Where do you get your theology or your doctrine or the things that you believe? Don't you get it right here? So we have a, we have a challenge. We can let our experience dictate what we believe. The things that we see, God help you if you do. Or we can let Scripture dictate what we believe. And if we know that Scripture says that God still heals and it's still the ministry of Jesus Christ to heal. John 14, 12 says, The works that I do, Jesus speaking, those works and greater works shall you do also. Right? Faith just talked about this a little while ago, a couple weeks ago. She was talking about the works of Jesus. You do the works that He does and greater works. Jesus healed people, so the works that He did was healing. And it says that we'll heal. We'll do the works that Jesus did and greater works. So Jesus healed, cast out demons, and raised the dead. So therefore, if we're going to take Scripture at its word, then we have the ability to heal through the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Ghost. Does this all make sense? I feel like you guys are looking at me like peering into my soul. Like, I just don't believe you. What objection do you have now? Those are the popular objections. I just don't see it. I've seen people get prayed for and I've just not been healed. Uh-huh. I've known someone, Faith confessed to you that she prayed for something for over 10 years. 11 years. I've seen people pray for 15 and 20 years. Abraham asked God for a son for over 20 years. And Sarah was in her 90s when she finally got pregnant. So I said, be fruitful and multiply. Ladies, you may not be done yet. 
just kidding. God is not subject to our experience. Yeah, there are a lot of little nuances and stuff that we can factor in, but I think the biggest reason that people don't get healed is because people just simply, whether they admit it to themselves or not, don't believe that God heals anymore. Because it's no longer just taking something by faith and not having to see it. So you can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can believe on Him to save you and receive that with faith, and you don't have to see an immediate change. Because it's invisible. It's an inward change. But when you pray for healing, it puts a demand on your faith because you have to see it. You have to feel it. You have to experience it. It's something that goes beyond the invisible, that goes beyond the inward. It has to do with the inward, but it's something that has to be right then, right now. And so we're just, our faith just doesn't go there. We'll go with the invisible all day long, but the moment that it requires something in the natural, something in the temporal, something that we see or experience, our faith just cuts short. We can believe God for invisible, but we just have an impossibility. It's just impossible for us to believe God for what we can see. And so therefore, if you don't believe in healing, then you'll never seek it out. If you don't seek it out, then you'll never experience it. God's not going to just throw healing on you because He just is going to overwhelm your will and your faith and your natural desires and just throw healing on you. No, if you don't believe God will heal, you'll never get healed. If you don't believe God will get healed, you'll never get healed. You know, a lot of people, they can take a medicine called a placebo. has no power. Sugar pill. They can take that and they get healed because they believe that they're going to get healed. And a lot of people on the flip side of the coin, they can take a medicine that's appropriately suited for their condition and because they don't believe it'll work, it doesn't work. There's power in faith. There's power in belief. And that's just natural belief. That's temporal faith. That's not saving faith. But we have the ability to place our faith, to place our pipeline, to place our attachment on God and let Him heal us. Because what healing is, essentially, is healing is the perfect righteous life of Christ. That resurrected life that has no death in it, filling us and casting out death and sickness. You'll shed this temple. You'll shed this body, this flesh, this earth. You'll shed this. But you don't have to do it by way of sickness. You can do it in health. Many people have died in perfect health. Just closed their eyes and went off to be with the Lord. That's available. Live your life. Die in a good old age, full of health. Your eyes not weak. Your vitality still with you. Or... We can doubt God heals and just continue and suffer through life, limping as we go. All right, here's the application portion. You don't have to turn here. I'll just read it to you. Or you can turn to Romans 8 if you want to. Romans 8, verse 11, I think. Yeah. It says this. It says, If the Spirit of Him, Christ, if the Spirit of Christ, who, or Spirit of God, if the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, if you're saved, if you have the Spirit of God in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. It's pretty simple, right? 
if the spirit of life that was in Christ Jesus, that raised him from the dead, dwells in you, then that spirit of life has the ability to give life to your mortal body, to take away that sickness, to take away that death, to take away that pain. James 5. I don't usually make you guys turn this often, this many places. Usually I just pick one scripture and roll with it. But I want you guys to see this. We're about to do something, and normally I'd have Faith go back there and put on some uh, altar call music, but it's fine. James 5, verse 13, says this. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. That's what we did this morning. Kids have a quick rebound, right? They're mad and crying and weeping, and then five minutes later, they're laughing their head off. So when we got a bunch of cheerful kids up here to the front, we had a praise break. If you're cheerful, praise. Is anyone among you sick? Does anyone among you have a disease, an affliction, a sickness? Here's what you do. Let him or her, them, because that word in the Greek can mean him or her, let them call for the elders of the church. In this particular church, we have one elder. That's me. We haven't ordained any other elders or consecrated any other elders. An elder just means essentially someone in a specific office. The pastor is the lead elder, and there will be some of you as once we become accredited, we'll have other elders. But... Call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, the person that's sick, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Oil. Anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Save means to make whole, sozo, to heal completely. Nothing missing, nothing broken. That's the definition of peace or shalom. To save someone can be to save them from eternal damnation or to save them from their sickness or to deliver them from their current position. So when it's saying we'll save the one that's sick, what it's essentially meaning is it will give life and healing and deliverance to the one who's sick. And the Lord will raise them up. And if they've committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So here's what we're going to do. I'm not saying that Chris Aaron Cranfield, Aaron Cranfield, your pastor, is a healer. Because there's a lot of people that do that. They say, I am a faith healer. I have a special anointing. I'm not saying that. I don't. What I do say is that I am a Christian who lives a righteous life, who has faith for God to heal, and the life of Jesus Christ dwells in me. And therefore, if you have a sickness or a disease or an affliction, then God is not only able, but He's willing to heal you. And if I can pray over you and anoint you with oil, then I'm going to believe, whether I see it or not, that you are going to be healed. Now, I'm not saying that you just say, I'm healed and go out and stop taking your medicine. What I am saying is that if you are healed, then go get it proven. Because I knew a lady one time and she had seizures. This is a story that my dad's wife, my stepmother, 
her best friend died from seizures. And here's why she died. Because a man stood up here and said, if you keep taking that medication, you do not have faith for God to heal you. So she stopped taking her medication and she had a seizure and it killed her. And it was that minister's fault. What I'm saying is that you believe God to heal you and then when you see that He's healed you, go to the doctor and let Him prove it to you. That's not faith. I mean, that's not lacking faith. That's just saying, okay, God, I believe that You did it. Now I want paper certifying that You did it. And then you stop taking your medicine. When they tell you to stop taking your medicine, Jesus, when He healed people, He said, go show yourself to the priest. Go show that you're healed. Let them do the sacrifice and the praising of God and the burnt offering and all that whole shebang so that they know you're healed. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take this anointing oil and I want everyone... Before you do that, I need to witness something. Right now. Okay. And last week or so, the Spirit put it on me that there's just, there was something wrong, something wrong, and then He gave me the word of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit gave me in the last few days. All over and all over my head. Where is it coming from? And I thought of two things that I heard. Let me stand. Could we come up from Him? So I called Him, and I asked Him two questions. And I thought of a third thing, too. So I asked him those two questions, and it surely wasn't coming from this man. And one I was just about to talk about that third thing. The Spirit said, no, uh-uh. Leave it there. And he left it there. And I hung up the phone. Don't you know that Spirit led me right to Isaiah chapter 53 to study that chapter? That's good. The very thing. And what we have witnessed this morning, the very thing that concerned me the most after that phone call, you addressed the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in godly men, which I might humbly be. Let not a spirit of apathy overcome you and believe in all things, just as he says. Go on, preacher. Tell him. That's right. That's right. That's good. That's good. So, what we want, I want to do as I want everyone who has a sickness, who has an affliction, if you're willing, I mean, you can sit in your chair and keep it. I'm not going to try to take your sickness away from you. I'm not going to fight you over it. But if you have a sickness or you have an affliction and you want to be healed, you want to just step out and say, God, I believe that you can heal me. I want to pray over you. I want to pray over you. So I want you to come up. This space is empty. Well, kids dance. We had like 20 kids dancing in this space. So therefore, I know that if 20 kids can dance, then I can pray for you guys. There's more kids than there are adults in this church now. So if you have a sickness or you have an affliction and you want it gone, come on. Face going to get some music going. Now, here's the challenge. If you don't have a sickness or affliction and you don't come up here, you are welcome to leave at any time. I'm not holding you here. You can go in the fellowship hall and you can have some coffee. You can chit-chat or whatever over there. But if you stay over here while I'm praying for them, you've got to do one of two things. 
You've got to worship God or you've got to pray for them. One of two things. If you want to leave, you're welcome to leave and I won't judge you for that because you've been sitting for a long time your legs might be numb. But if you're over here, if you don't have a sickness, a disease, an affliction, a pain, or something that you want prayed over and you want to be healed of, then either pray or worship or step out because this is a place where we're going to pray for people to be healed. Amen?